Okay, my name is Rago Zulu Rebel, and I'm an artist from London. First and foremost, spiritually, I'm a Rasta man, growing up in London from an Afro-Caribbean background. So reggae is a big influence on the work and the music I make. Um, it's a big influence on the kind of psyche, the, the concepts, the precepts that we use as, um, yeah. And the hip-hop that I make, I'm, I'm a hip-hop artist, but it's kind of reggae, hip-hop fusion, as I am a Rasta man, so there is kind of that conscious overtones, those kind of th themes that are consistent through reggae will be consistent throughout my music, do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like a, a modern day translation for the London environment of that. It has influences of things like jungle, and also hip hop comes from, if you go back to DJ Cool Hertz and those guys through the ranks, and so it's kind of holding the flag for those people that have passed on the flag to me today. Um, the first kind of, as you asked me, the first memory that came to my mind, um, I didn't necessarily grow up with my dad. Mum and dad's a Brexonian, old school. Some of the first that came over in the windrush in short pants and stuff. Um, but the relationship I did have, one of my early memories of him is coming into his room and being like, ah. Oh. And then the floor just filled with vinyls, 40, um, 45s and the little ones. Uh, it's, for those that wouldn't know, that's a 45 inch vinyl, the small ones that they put on the track. And kind of, I couldn't even get across the room and he's like, step across, step across. So um, it's the soundtrack to my kind of growing up. Um, to Shabins and parties, that's kind of like local community parties. I don't know, it could be a rent party or whatever, but a Shabin is literally to shub in, to push in, to fill up the house to max capacity. And they kind of dance and rock until the wallpaper comes off. So, and then we'd have a room full of kids, like a crash over there in the background. And that was us. So those are kind of my young influences of reggae. And then growing up is kind of more the soundtrack of my own life. As you take it on, it's something that kind of has a message. It's something that um, has a direction. It has a very firm roots in spirituality. So one of the tribunes, and um, probably one of the places I used to regularly, I've got an aunt that lives down the road. We're in Wilsdon at the library right now. She lives down the road in Kensal Green, and she was kind of very lively. Always had parties at her house. So you turn up, the house is dark. Um, you can smell food cooking down at the kitchen. You've got a bag of aunties down the back setting up food, doing what they're doing. You've got the main room, which was yesterday, someone's front room. Tonight, it's a disco dance hall kind of... It's filled almost to capacity, people in string vests and people in kind of like, I don't know, fold up jeans at the bottom or feelers and um, fur coats and whatever the style of the time is, but lots of kind of stylized people. Um, you've got bass, heavy bass music, sound system kind of music coming out. Um, and it would kind of more be even than dub or that kind of thing. It'd be more like sing-alongs, like your Frankie Dance or Paul, your Sanchez, that kind of... Um, and mum's just doing an auntie skank, lots of shoulders, and ooh, kind of that, but just jubilation, joy, happiness. And then, as I said, a bunch of kids, because we can't necessarily be in a party and trying to sneak out from the room that we're meant to be in to get a peek and see the big people kind of slow dancing and doing what they're doing. And then you'd have the men outside smoking, talking, reasoning, and we're not quiet as a people, you know? So, and it, the whole, the, the thing as well, it's very communal. All the neighbors, it's not, you didn't really get complaints, I'd, you'd be surprised but you didn't really get complaints from neighbors as such because they're all involved, it's a communal activity, so. I think, or very interestingly, in my young kind of, I wasn't, I've been an artist since I was about nine, like writing lyrics and I didn't know that's why I was an artist then, but I started, that's the beginning. But when I was about 13, I started a collective of musicians because I'd already been doing it for four years at this point and doing a bit of recording here, gigs through youth theater, et cetera. But I saw a lot of artists coming behind me that needed some help and support that I didn't get. So I started a collective of kind of music. It started kind of like an agency. And it was influenced by Bob's album, Exodus. Because that album was very influential on me at the time. 
and I was thinking about what direction I was going to take with my life and um, it was called Exodus First Movement. So it was kind of, that's a direct influence from classic album, Trojan 1979 to, I don't know, this might be like 2002, but finding that music was very, like I wanted to be like a modern day Moses and kind of lead my people out of whatever the oppressions were of living in metropolis, busy in a city, kind of what we would call Babylon. So kind of, so that Exodus represented that, what I did in my music at that point. And then it was a musical Exodus because we had about, I don't know, 30 artists that would turn up to gigs, events, under 18 rays where he's playing music from garage to dancehall to reggae to jungle to hip hop to whatever, at places like Stratford, um, theater, uh, not theater, or Stratford Circus. So in different places, we put on under 18s events and pass the influences that we got as children into the local community. So that was a big one kind of thing. And that aunt of mine was very social. Like my mum, as I said, my dad was a Brixtonian. So you've got kind of a lot of that kind of vibes over there. But my mum was from Bolton originally. And I grew up like in my very young ages. In, so, and for a little period of time, I lived in down there when from I was about, I think it was about the whole summer. My mum and my dad had separated away. She wasn't well. Couldn't get to the, um, I was at the hospital and it was like social services going to get him. So my aunt from Kensal came and got me. And I lived down there for like a whole summer. But I used to come down there all our summers and it was that, Playouts and runouts, carnival. Um, if you go down to every carnival, if you go down to uh, Westbourne Park, what are they called? Uh, Channel One sound system, and then on the other side you have Abishanti sound system. So it is back to more the heavy dub. So before I was talking more about Sanchez and kind of more dancehall, this is more roots and dub kind of culture, um, and that was a big influence from us about. I always used to come down and spend it with my cousin because I could go there and I wouldn't get in trouble. But from I was about eight or nine, I could go with my own free will. And yeah, Rampage is cool, all the hype and the jump, but you know you're safe in that environment. When you hear that heavy bass, you know that there's certain governing principles that will come with that music and the culture and the identity. And you know that you're less likely to end up at someone throwing acid at you or to get in a stabbing incident or more likely someone might, I don't know, buy you a dinner or a beer or give you a ziggy or something. To, it's more of an inclusive environment, so. The reggae culture and the, the root of it, a lot of it is, as myself being a Rastaman, I can't say all of it, but Jamaica's a spiritual place, very spiritual. You've got more churches than, to the landmass than anywhere else in the world. Um, and then from that, during the 1960s, you're having a kind of lot of revolution psychologically worldwide, everywhere in the world, and people are reforming, and, and that's the a year is where Rocksteady turns into kind of more reggae. Like, first of all, you've got, I think it's like um, Scar, which is a lot more up-tempo, but... Um, People, not everyone could relate as after independence came and there was this idea of this new world order and it was all going to be all great, but it's not always greener grass on the other side. So the music starts to reflect that and as the music starts to slow down with rock steady and also a bit more lovers and then it goes into reggae which gets a bit more militant. But with the militancy comes the, as I said, the Rasta identity and that does have that spiritual background of, like I said, communal lifestyle of a certain political perspective and how you relate to the system, how you relate to each other's kind of, um, it's very brotherly, like we have a concept of I and I, for example, and um, I and I is there's no me, there's no you, there's just I, do you know what I mean? And that says a lot about the ethos of reggae musical when you come to the reggae dance hall or that kind of vibes, which kind of reverberates through the music. A lot of the, uh, if you check the history, a lot of the artists coming out of Jamaica, a lot of them went to one school, I think it was Alpha Boy School, one of a friend of mine's dad actually went to that school. And um, well, some didn't have any money, but they had music. And if one person had, I don't know, a plate of rice, we all had a plate of rice. One person had a patty, we all had a patty. So that's the, the kind of incubator that this reggae music was brought to conception in. And then it's spread because you feel music. So you don't have to say, you don't have to explain, you feel it. And I feel 
that people that resonate with that vibe are more onto that or in that part of their life. I don't know, you might turn around tomorrow and become a dictator. But while you're in a more of a peace, love, um, questioning also, a lot of time it questions what the status quo is or because it's its own thing. Reggae was banned or a lot of time it wasn't necessarily accepted by mainstream society until, I don't know, mid to late 70s with Chris Blackwell and the Whalers kind of taking over the world by storm. But where it's kind of rejected, it's the stone that the builder refused. But it's become the head corner stone, so that kind of also reflects in the music. So I have a show on Kilburn, Kilburn's Kensal Radio, K2K Radio, and it's a community radio station. Back to what I said about community. That's a consistent theme you'll find about what I'm dealing with because I'm about the people. Um, and once a month, last Friday of every month, it's the hump day. We've done it for about three, four years, about four years now, I think, maybe even a little bit longer. But um, we have a show, we play whatever, it's a rago show, so rago is a word that is kind of, it's a free spirit, it's as you will, when you will, now, like, um, I can't believe you did that, rago, the kind of thing. So the show is very impromptu, it's what I feel like on the day, um, sometimes I'm playing roots, sometimes I'm playing dub, sometimes it could just be instrumental, sometimes it could be whatever, but um, K2K is a kind of a hub for, the community in this area. They used to have another, they've moved where they are to uh, just down the road from Kilburn train station at the, I don't remember the name of the venue, but where it was previously, before I even was a DJ, I used to come there for interviews and stuff and it just, you can tell, a lot of kids are always there and I think those places are very important. If you haven't got somewhere to go as a young person, my grandma would say the devil finds work for idle hands, you're gonna find trouble. So it's good that places like that where they can engage with people like myself that are actively doing what they're doing and then it gives them a physical example of what they can do themselves, it's possible. And it's not a dream or someone I've seen on YouTube or on telly. I know that guy, saw him on the train yesterday. You know? People uh, make reggae everywhere now. We make reggae in Kilburn, we make, they make reggae in Kenya, they make reggae in Czechoslovakia. So, but it kind of speaks for the downtrodden and for the oppressed, it's a voice for the voiceless. Um, it's also something for a spiritual upliftment. So, it's a multi-purpose, multi-faceted vibration which generally brings a smile to most people's faces. You'll enjoy it when you feel it and it'll give you something to think about. As I was saying, there's probably those early carnivals when I was young. I've got the one aunt that lives there and I've got another aunt that went back to Jamaica. Um, she doesn't live here anymore. But I remember her, she used to make like patties. I don't even know if people actually make patties anymore, like not from a shop. But every year at carnival, she would just make this whole table full of chicken patties, this whole table full of sawfish patties, this whole table full of veg patties. And just being in a house while the food is cooking, and like I said, the heavy baseline, just in the house and people coming in and out, and just the freedom, just the kind of a feeling of freedom, just to kind of, just to be. There's two artists that are local, that I really check for their music, but they're more contemporary than necessarily in the past. But there's an artist called Gappy Ranks, who's from around this kind of area. I know he's from like, uh, Harsden, is that, that's, yeah. So um, Gappy Ranks, and there's also another artist called Mr. Williams. And so, and they're both reggae artists, but from British reggae artists, kind of thing. So I think they kind of put a niche in. A lot of the things that, I, like Gappy's got an album called um, Put The Stereo On, and it's a lot of the vintage Studio One kind of tracks. And it's something also, I, it's a, I'm a very remin reminis uh, renaissance man or a retro. So as another artist kind of to see that eye to eye, I kind of relate very much into the way that they just jumped on old rhythms and kind of, but they brought it certain aspects of the new, but respected the old. So I think I really like that, respect that. Um, so talking on influential reggae artists, um, especially back to homegrown, there's a group called Aswad. 
and you probably might know of Asbaz, you know what I mean? But they've, as much as they've had a lot of popular mainstream success, before that they were kind of integral to the London scene and they are from Northwest London, from these kind of areas. I think, I think it might be from Labrick Grove, so that might be a bit more further over that way, but they're local lads that have kind of come and had a great influence on the scene. They had a film that came out called Babylon back in like 81, 81, maybe 1980, and that film has recently been re-released on the international market. Um, and it's just a gr like for me, I watched the film maybe in let's say 99, but a lot of the issues that happened in the film were so relevant to my, it was even scary that things hadn't necessarily changed so much from that time to before I was born to now. Um, one of the scene, one of the soundtracks to the film, it was a song called Warrior Charge. And it's kind of always been a consistent theme throughout my life. I've always loved it. It's got trumpets on it and high horns. And it's the kind of, if I met that alien and I said to him, what was reggae? I'd be like, look, mate, tune into this. Um, so I did a song on it. Back to what I was saying about Gappy Ranks and the other artists kind of, because within reggae, we have a thing called versions. And it's where we have one instrumentation that someone has produced and then everyone gets a piece. So you can, it's rather than everyone having a little verse, you have it, you do your song, you have it, you do your song. And then the versions become popular and then sometimes you might not have, have a following, but by jumping on the version, it gives you exposure. So it's back to that communal ethos that resonates throughout the music, but not just as words in itself as the music. So I did myself my own version on the, um, so the version, the tune's called Warrior Charge, and I did my own version on it called Working Class. So it's kind of my contribution. And that's the way it is. It's, as generations pass, every generation contributes something. Like, a lot of times with hip-hop, for example, they say hip-hop's dead because it changes in shape over the years, but reggae's never really had that crisis because it's continually passing that baton. It's kind of like a relay race. So I do workshops. I do a lot of workshops for young people, um, creative writing workshops. Um, and sometimes the basic, the, so when you see it from the outside, it's a lyric writing workshop. We teach you how to write bars. But it's public speaking, giving your confidence. It's knowing the history of the music sometimes. So I do go in the history of how we got from I know, drill, to trap, to rap, to garage in the UK kind of thing, to, or what would be grime, back to garage, to jungle, to dub, to dancehall, to reggae. And then they follow that kind of lineage, because a lot of them may never know. It's just something you hear on YouTube, and I like a bit of that, and I like a bit of that, but you give them some historical context for them to understand why, where, what, and who, so that when they approach it, they can have the same intention. And kind of, it gives them, once again, as well, the ethos. It's not just pick up a mic and say anything, like we create, we encourage creative freedom, but in the same breath, creative responsibility at the same time. So, and for example, the difference of like a reggae artist to a dancehall artist is a dancehall artist can be very raw and say things. If a reggae artist was even to talk about certain topics, he has because there's that psychological ethos that comes behind with that reggae, whereas it doesn't necessarily from a dancehall or a rap or these other genres. So it's. It's almost like a crown jewel that we still need to preserve. It's the last untapped place that still has a bit of, I don't know, moral integrity. So one of my first projects, my first EP was called The Struggle. So that says it all. Do you know what I mean? It was about, and oftentimes as artists, we have this thing where your first album is going to be like your best project because like every other project from then, you spent maybe six months, two weeks, a year, however. I spent, I don't know, 16 years making that album. My whole life went into that one experience. And it was about that kind of, it was, like a lot of time I'd see on TV, people speak for us. They'll have some person that comes in that is a youth representative or whatever, and he'll say, oh, I feel that young people should, and they should, but they don't, I didn't feel represented. I felt misrepresented even. So that was kind of my hieroglyphics on the walls of time. 
And now where we have the internet, like at the time I had to get out with CDs and give it out and then try to sell some or whatever. But now with the internet, you stick it on the internet and anything you put on the internet is there forever. So it is that this is my mark in the walls of forever. 